Well, it really is a great pleasure to be here. The last time I was here was when the church was, had that special time of prayer for David. So it's amazing to be back here and to be following on from his preaching last week. It really is wonderful to be back in such circumstances to see God answering prayer the way he has. If you have your Bibles, uh, can you open them with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 on page 1218. Let me just read verse 4 again. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter here is writing to groups of Christians who are in small, scattered churches. They're facing trial because of their faith. They're living in the Roman Empire, an empire that was hostile to Christianity. And not long after this letter was written, the hostility would break out into intense persecution. So this church is at the beginning of life getting difficult for them, where it was a daily challenge to be a Christian, where it might mean a loss of status. It might mean losing your job. It might mean being separate from the community, even from your family, because these people were Christians. You can imagine the discouragement. You can imagine the challenges. And then this letter comes. And this letter comes and Peter wants to give them principles for how to avoid conforming. It would be so easy for them to just return to their old life. They were such a small minority. How were they going to avoid just becoming like everybody else, becoming what they were before they were saved? It's the same kind of challenge that you and I will probably face on a daily basis as Christians. The chances are that most of us, if we are in a workplace or in a university or in a school, we're going to be, if we're Christians, very much in the minority. And we will find that our Christian faith might mean that we get marginalized. We may face mockery. We may face persecution of different kinds. How are we going to avoid conforming? What is it that will keep us as Christians and as a church standing firm in what we believe? How do we avoid sin and compromise? Well, for Peter, the issue is about having the right foundations. And this is, in this section of his letter, we find that this is what he's talking about. If the church is to fulfill God's mission, if the church is to be faithful, then it needs to have the right foundation. It needs to be built on Jesus 
and the gospel. Jesus needs to be the one who we come to, the one who we build our lives on, the one who we come to daily for grace to help us when we find ourselves in difficult situations. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, who is our Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Because we find in this passage that there are very different opinions as to who Jesus is. In verses 7 and 8, we see the opinion of the world at large. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Jesus is someone that people stumble over. His claims are misunderstood or just outright rejected. The idea of Jesus being God is ridiculed. The idea that he would die on the cross to deal with the sin problem that people have is considered barbaric. Considering that there are some people within the Christian community that talk about Jesus' death on the cross as cosmic child abuse, no wonder that we find people on the outside thinking it's just incredible. It's too much to take in. The idea that Jesus would rise from the dead, well, that's, that's just a myth. There's no basis for that in science and reason. Jesus is misunderstood and he stumbled over. People find his claims to be intolerant. How dare Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Surely all religions lead to God. Surely all spiritualities are equally valid. People stumble over Jesus. There is opposition to his claims in the world. But then there's God's view of Jesus, which we find in verse 4. That yes, he is rejected by men, but he is chosen by God and precious to him. And what we're reminded of is that God, before the world was ever made, came up with a plan of salvation and Jesus, as God's son, was chosen to be the one who would come into this world to live that perfect life and to die that sacrificial death on the cross and rise again to give us salvation hope. He is chosen, and not only is he chosen, he is also precious to God. He is of extreme value. When we think about uh, salvation, Jesus need not have carried out that plan. But yet he was fully obedient to his father's will. And as the obedient son who died for the world, who died for God's people, he is highly valued. Which voice do we listen to? Verse 7, it says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. And as Christians, if you're a Christian here tonight, you need to consider, is Jesus precious to me? Do I consider him to have such value that I can't imagine life without him? Or is he just an added 
extra to my life, that we've got this religious dimension that lasts for a Sunday, but from Monday through Saturday, we just live just like everybody else. If we don't see Jesus as precious, then we're not going to build our life and our identity on him. So then when things get difficult for us, when people say, are you a Christian? If you're not in that living relationship with Jesus, if you don't consider him to be more important than the approval of the masses, then maybe your faith will fold. Maybe you'll decide it's too difficult. Do we see Jesus as precious? Peter in this section, he goes back to the Old Testament quite a lot and he draws on a number of images. And the first picture that he gives us is of the temple, that great structure that was at the center of Israel's religious life. And he thinks about Jesus being the cornerstone to that temple. In verse 6, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus is the cornerstone. When people in those days were building, the cornerstone was the first one that was laid. And it was cut very carefully because, in the first instance, it was the means by which the walls were properly aligned. So the angle had to be just right, otherwise the wall would be squint and then it would be weak. And it also had to be a stone that was capable of bearing the weight of the rest of the building. And Peter uses that to say, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is capable for you to build your life on and he will stay strong and secure for you. He is the one who you should build your life around and align yourself to. Our faith, our church, must be based on Jesus and the message of the gospel. And that seems fairly straightforward and maybe that seems perfectly obvious, but is that always so obvious? That sometimes we can find in our, our own personal faith that we get so easily distracted. And even in churches, Jesus is not always given the place that he deserves. That we can become all about religion or all about social activities or social concern and we forget to worship Jesus as the King of Kings. That you and I, we need our life and our identity to be built on Jesus. That we will face trials in our lives. And if we don't have that secure foundation, we may find ourselves crumbling. It was Jesus himself who told uh, the parable warning about the danger of building a life without real foundations. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the, the wise builder who built on the rock and the storms came and the house stood firm. And then there was the house that was built on sand and it looked like the same kind of house. But as soon as the storms came, there was no foundation and it crumbled. And Jesus is saying, if you choose anything other than me to build your life on, you will find that when difficulties come, that foundation will not be able to uphold you and your faith will crumble. 
And so we need to ask ourselves this very important question. Is Jesus my cornerstone? Can I honestly say that he has that place of prime importance in my life? Is he a cornerstone or is he just one of many bricks? You know, so you have your religious time and so you've got Jesus there, but you've also got your work and you place your value and your identity in your work or you enjoy money and you look to money for security or maybe it comes from your family. There's so many other options that people choose to build their lives on that Jesus can sometimes go from being a cornerstone to just being a brick. Who is our Jesus? The second thing that Peter draws their attention to is the question, who are we? He wants to remind this discouraged church about their identity. He wants to remind them of the great privileges that they've got, to give them a big picture of Jesus and their relationship to Jesus so that they will be encouraged to stand firm. So we see in verse 5 that he builds on this temple metaphor and he says that just as Jesus is the living stone, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So Peter here draws on this temple metaphor and he says, well, if Jesus is the cornerstone in the temple, then the church, the believers, are those who are built in, on, and around Jesus. Remember in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God's glory was seen to dwell. It was the center of the religious life of the people of Israel. God's glory, the glory cloud, would come onto the temple. The temple was of central importance for the religious life of the Jewish people. And here, Peter is saying, that's a reality for us as Christians, that now we have God in all his glory dwelling within us. As individual Christians and as the church, we have God in our midst. That we don't need to go up to a temple to meet with God from time to time. That we have God within us. As we meet here, God is with us. And God's glory isn't restricted now to a building, to a temple where his glory came down and rested. Now God's glory is to be displayed in our lives as we seek to live for him. Sometimes we can get into the mindset that our Christian life is very mundane and we don't feel like we're doing anything very spectacular and we don't feel like we've got any great significance in the church maybe. And Peter here says, there's no way that you can say that your life means nothing because you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living inside of you. What encouragement to a struggling church, to a church facing trials, to know that God was with them, was living within them. He calls Christians living stones. In other words, our Christianity is not some static experience. It's not a case that, you know, we get saved, we get converted at some point in our life, and then 
a Christian life never goes anywhere. There's supposed to be maturity and growth. And even as we uh, endure trials, God is using them to work perseverance and greater faith. That he's constantly shaping us and changing us and using us. And not only that, the, the kingdom community is constantly changing as new people are brought into the church. As people are saved, then they are built into the temple. When they were building the temple in the Old Testament, the stonemasons would get their big bit of rough cut stone and they would work out the dimensions for where um, the next brick was supposed to go. And they would take the stone away and they would cut it and they would dress it so it, it would fit it just right, so it would fit the gap just perfectly. And what Peter is saying to us as Christians is that God is like a stonemason who is working in your life and my life, who is shaping you in such a way that you have a unique role to fulfill in your Christian communities, in your church. We are all shaped uniquely by God because he has a specific purpose for each one of us to fulfill. Your history is different to my history. Your experiences of God's work in your life are different to mine. And we all have unique stories to tell if we're Christians. And God is using all those things as part of his process of shaping us so that when we come into a church community, we fit in somewhere just perfectly according to his plan. He's reminding us that not only are we built on Jesus Christ, that he is the foundation of the church, that we are also built in and around one another. That we need each other for care and support and for strength. That he's not talking about individual bricks just scattered about in a field. The images of Christians being built together into a great temple. And so we need to consider whether we are playing our part. If you belong here, are you connected to other people? Are you involved in the lives of others? Are you caring for, encouraging, supporting other people? Are we serving together? Or are we just, you know, standing back and not getting involved? Imagine if, just for a moment, this wing of the church decided that it had had enough of being a church building and that it really wanted to be a new Tesco. And so the bricks just kind of disappeared and we're left with three walls or we're left with a big hole in the wall as some maverick bricks go off and do their own thing. Where's that, where does that leave the church? Well, it leaves the church significantly weakened and in danger of collapse. And in the same way, if you and I are not fulfilling our roles and our functions in the church, if we're not committing to and serving other people, then the church is weakened. There is damage done to God's church if we don't participate because he intends for us to be built in together, to serve together. That's why the temple image is so powerful. But he goes beyond that and he gives them another picture from the Old Testament. And he says that you in the church as Christians, you're like the priests in the Old Testament. 
That's what he says in the second half of verse 5. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, in the Old Testament, the priests were specially chosen. You could only get the job if you were a Levite. They were the ones who represented the people before God. They were the ones who were allowed to enter into the temple, into God's presence. And then you had the high priest who once a year could go right into the Holy of Holies where God's glory was. Now, for us, Peter is saying, through our being united with Christ, all Christians have direct access to God. That like the priests, we are able to go into God's presence. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross down at the temple? It tells us that the curtain dividing the Holy of Holies from uh, the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God was saying that through this perfect sacrifice, my people now have access, direct access, 24-7 access to me. And we're called to offer sacrifices. Through our being united with Christ, we're called to offer sacrifices just like the priests. Except our sacrifices aren't animals. It's the sacrifice of worship, of praising God, of doing good, serving one another. He says to this struggling church, to these discouraged Christians, remember, you've been chosen by God to enter into a relationship with him. Remember, you have constant access to the all-powerful God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember, you have the privilege of serving the living God because you belong to Jesus. And that's the same message for us as well. It's a reminder, again, that we are in it together, that just like the priests serve together, that so as the church, we support and encourage one another in the service of God. So we are like the temple, and we're like the priests. And he has one more picture. He says that for us as Christians, we're like Old Testament Israel. We are God's specially chosen community who he has committed himself to in a covenant. Verse 9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here he draws on the language that comes from Exodus 19. It comes from the time when the people of Israel had been freed from slavery in Egypt. They'd been led by Moses through the Red Sea. They'd been led to Mount Sinai, where God was going to give them the commandments, and God was also going to commit to being their God. And so Peter is saying that we have been redeemed. If we trust in Jesus, he has bought us back. We belong to him. God has entered into a covenant with us. 
In verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This was a message to the people of Israel from uh, the prophecy of Hosea. Hosea was told to marry an unfaithful wife, a prostitute, and she had uh, children. And Hosea was told that just as Israel, because of their disobedience, was to be sent into exile by God, so Hosea was to send his wife and children away as a picture of that. But then Hosea was told to go back and to buy back his wife and to bring back his wife and his children as a reminder that while Israel had been rejected for a time, now they had been redeemed and brought back to God. And in the same way, it's a reminder to us that we who were far away from God once upon a time, we have been brought near. That those of us who were deserving of judgment because of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ have been brought into a relationship with him. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are members of this new covenant through Christ's death. God is committed to his people. He will never abandon his people, never let them go, even when they face intense trials. Again, what a great encouragement to a church having a hard time. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of being a chosen people? Well, he says in verse 9 that we are called to display God's glory in the world. That we've been specially chosen by God to be his people, to receive his mercy, to be light to the world. Who are we as the church? as individual Christians. We are those who belong to God as we come to Christ and we have our lives built on him. And we have the privilege of being a new community who God in Christ has committed himself to. And if we get that right, if we have those foundations in our lives, if we have that sense of belonging to Jesus, that he is our Savior, that He is the one who gives us meaning and value and identity and purpose in life, then we'll be able to face trials. We'll be able to stand firm, just as Peter was encouraging the church here to stand firm. The final thing, very briefly, what is our mission as the church? Why does He call us into this special relationship? Why does He draw us together as a community of believers. What is our mission? Verse 11 and 12 uh, give us some clues. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our mission is to live in the world with the value system of the kingdom of God. He says to them, remember where your citizenship is. That your citizenship is in heaven. You have a different set of priorities and values. 
You have a different king. Everybody else is worshipping the emperor, but you worship Jesus Christ. And that gives you a different identity and a different set of values. And Peter says to them, go out into the world with that set of values to make a difference. He doesn't say, because you're different and everybody else is hostile, stick together like some kind of holy huddle. And that's the kind of tempting option. That's, that's the easy option to just live in some kind of Christian bubble. Sometimes when I think back on my student days, I very much think of them as being like a Christian bubble. My friends were Christians. I played football with Christians. I did Bible study. Everything was with Christians. And that was great in terms of fellowship, but it's a disaster in terms of being salt and light in the world. We need to be out there. And so Peter doesn't say, look, all just stick together and just huddle together and, and enjoy nice, cozy fellowship. He says, yes, commit to one another. Enjoy fellowship with one another that's rooted in the gospel that's centered on Jesus so that you can go out into the world and make a difference so that you can live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. What is the importance of kingdom living through union with Christ? Well, evangelism is a big one. People will be attracted, Peter is saying, if your life displays the character of God, if it is marked by holiness, then people will sit up and take notice. Yes, you may be ridiculed by some, but others will be attracted to this life that has meaning, to this very different ethic, and they will want to ask questions. Will we have a faith that will be able to stand up to those questions? It's so vital for our evangelism that our lives are built on Jesus, that we have the support of one another so that we've got the strength to go out into the world. And ultimately, the purpose is that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's the, that's the purpose for us as a church, to live lives that bring glory and honor to God. God gets the glory when we don't live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus and to serve him. When as a community of believers, we are focused on bringing the good news to the people that we know, to the communities that we belong to, that don't have hope, they don't have a savior. So Peter writes to this church or the small groups of churches who are struggling, who are discouraged, and he says to them, remember, first of all, you don't do it alone. Remember that you're a community of believers. So find help and encouragement and support from one another. But remember your identity in Christ. Remember that you are the people who God has committed himself to. You are the people who God has chosen to live within. Have your life built on Jesus. And the key, as we find in verse 4, is coming to Christ daily. To have that dependence on him. To seek his grace. 
to acknowledge our weakness and his strength, to come to him daily, to have our lives built around him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do pray that you would help us, each one of us, to have our lives built on the right foundations. For those of us who are uh, struggling with our priorities and maybe we are trying to build our lives around other things than Jesus, may you help us to repent and, and come to him, the living stone, to have our lives built on him, to recognize that he is the only solid foundation, that money doesn't last forever, that our careers are not secure, that our families are not big enough to give us that hope, that eternal hope that only Jesus Christ can give. May you help us to be committed to to one another as Christians. May we serve one another just as uh, Jesus Christ gave us that amazing example of self-sacrificial service. And may you help uh, this church and whatever churches are represented here to, to go into the world to live as salt and light to make a difference because we are secure in who we are because we belong to Jesus and our lives have great value in that. May you encourage us from your word. May you especially strengthen any who are going through particular trials and they may feel that their faith is really being shaken. May you help them to return to Jesus and his grace to find that strength that they need in their time of trouble. We don't know what uh, this week holds. Help us to cling to you. Help us to build our lives on you today, tomorrow, and the rest of this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.